Ladies and gentlemen, this is your man on the moon speaking. Coming to you live from the Moonlight Kingdom podcast. Uh, we will be taking off shortly from our undisclosed location. That is the previous Moonlight Kingdom reviews episode. Onto this current episode in a matter of moments. And we will be reviewing the 2004 hit comedy, Soul Plane. So sit back, relax, buckle your seatbelts, and get ready for this bumpy ride. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain on the moon speaking. Before we begin on ascent, just wanted to give you a heads up on this film that will be reviewed and provide you some much needed background before we really delve into the nitty gritty of the film. Such as this the 2004 movie produced by David Scott Rubin, Jesse Torero, who is also the director of it. It stars comedy heavyweights such as Tom Arnold, Kevin Hart, Method Man, Snoop Dogg, D.L. Hewley, Terry Crews, and various others. Oh, let me just list them all out here while I'm out here anyway. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail by saying it also features the likes of some more. Sophia Vergara. <laughs> oh, oh, she's really funny. John Witherspoon, Missy Powell, and Lil John and the Eastside Boys in a rather entertaining cameo role, Monique. And, well, if you want to know who else is in here, why don't you tune in and watch it, ladies and gentlemen? It's a, we're about to dive into it. But before we get into that, let's see how much this movie made. At a runtime of 86 minutes and releasing in May 28th of 2004, this movie, which had a box office budget of $16 million, came back with a total box office of $14.8 million. Oof, rough landing for this film. You'd think with such heavyweight talents as, well, at the time, not necessarily heavyweight as they are now, but with such hilarious comedic stylings of the likes of Kevin Hart, Cooley, Cruz, and Monique even, that this movie would gross just a little bit over its budget. But, you know, hey man, comes and goes. Its cult classic status is just as good these days. Well, not any, not as it used to be, but it's good enough. Good enough for me. Certainly allowed me to enjoy seeing this. Anyway, that's all the background you can get, aside from the fact that the film after its release all these years later, has a 4.5 out of 10 rating on IMDb, an 18% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 4.1 out of 5 on Voodoo. And 75% of users liked this film. Well, 75% of Google users, but, well, that's a solid medium of measurement if I've ever seen one. This movie was distributed by MGM and 20th Century Fox, now known as 20th Century Studios. And now, that's all the background you're going to get, ladies and gentlemen. Because in reality, that's all there is. So, ladies and gentlemen, as we're reaching our cruising altitude, we can now begin the review of the 2004 airplane-adjacent movie, Soul Plane. When you're sitting back, looking at all the slapstick comedy movies that have come and gone your naked guns which is getting a remake mind you your scary movies with a gluttony of sequels 
and you you just kick back and you wonder to yourself, how come there was never an airplane remake? How come no one ever did this? Heck, they remade planes, trains, and automobiles. They just called it Due Date. Well, the reason that the, that movie, the remake of Airplane never happened is because it kind of already did happen. Only they didn't call it the Airplane Remake or Airplane 3. They called it Soul Plane. And like all remakes, it, it has a lot of the same jokes, the same premise, and it's just set in a different time. But if a movie was funny the last time and you play those jokes again, does it still hold up? Well, let's find out. Yeah, in a movie with Kevin Hart, Tom Arnold, D.L. Hewley, the person who made me laugh the most was Stoop Dog as Captain Mac. Just, I don't know, man. The movie's first... The, uh, a down that this movie has right out of the gate is that a lot of its best jokes happen within the first hour and then it just coasts from there, man. Like, it flatlines from there. But yeah, the premise of this film is this. Kevin Hart sued an airline for a bunch of money after his dog died and he got stuck in the toilet seat. And he won the lawsuit. With this money, he went on to make his own airlines, you know, the titular soul plane, and his NWA airlines, Nashawn Wade airlines, not the other NWA rap group. Though that would have been interesting if he could get at least one of those dudes in there somewhere, you know. Question is, where would he go? What would he do? What would you, what would you have Ice Cube do in this movie? I mean, you got Snoop Dogg, you got Lil Jon and the East Side Boys, the Yin Yang Twins. I mean, it's like, I don't think this movie could fit anyone else in here. But still, you know, could have been nice. Moving on. Uh, on board, there's a who's who of black actors. You know, Snoop Dogg, as F mentioned, Lil Jon, Monique, Method Man, you know, and some more. Fitting that some more is the last person I mentioned because it's all these people. And then some. Does everybody who has a line in this movie is somebody or was somebody from way back when? Yeah. Every airplane movie cliche is in here. And much like airplane, it's used to comedic effect. Not somehow not the same comedic effect. It's a different kind of comedic effect. I thought it was funny. A different kind of funny. You know, like is if I had described this movie, I had to summarize what it's it's snakes on a plane minus the snakes. Let me just say that. It sticks on a plane, but without the snakes. Yeah. So, yeah. The, um, yeah, there's a bunch of stereotypes and cliches in here, like the couple who want to become members of the Mile High Club, the family going on vacation, the dad who are like, oh, my daughter was just a little kid just yesterday. Now she's all grown up. And uh, th there's a new one here, the white kid who becomes a, who just immediately takes to black culture and starts wearing urban clothes, using slang, and listening to rap music after like one day. So, I don't know if this is a bad word, a band word or not, or a demonetized word or whatever, but he's a wigger. He goes from a regular white guy in a suit and a vest to a straight up wigger in, oh, five minutes. Yeah, the movie has a couple jokes with him, but then he just, you know, this is a repeating theme of the movie, like, It'll introduce a joke, it'll say a joke later in the movie, and then poof, the joke will vanish with no payoff. The dude just becomes a wigger and stays one throughout the end of the film. One of the dude's problems is like, oh, my son is nothing like me anymore. And I guess he just got over that. You know, Tom Arnold's character just got over that. But hey, 
moving on. This is going everywhere. Um, the pilot getting taken out and they need to find someone who can fly. Another classic air, airplane movie cliche. Airport security doing unnecessary cavity check, abusing their power. Uh, the one Middle Eastern passenger on the plane that everyone is suspicious of. This is not funny. You know, I mean, it, it had some, it had some, you could use this as light humor back when the first two airplane movies came out. But Soul Plane coming out just three years after, you know, 9-11, this is not funny. This is, it doesn't even go anywhere. A Middle Eastern man gets on board. Everybody stops and looks at him as he's coming on like, what the hell? And they get to the middle class like, whoa, like what? It's like, who the hell? And he just sits down and turns to reveal that's a Middle Eastern guy. And the moment he sits down, the two, you know, metal detective chicks who really shouldn't be here, the two security guards who are working the metal detectors at the airports shouldn't be on the plane. This is full of like stewardesses and an air marshal. An air marshal should be looking into this dude, not to, uh, you know, security guards with wands that go, those people are annoying. I'm sorry, those people with the wands, they're annoying as hell. Like, uh, like they have nothing better to do so they just mess with you and they pull out their little wand. I mean, it's it's infuriating. But yeah, if you've ever been through an airport, you know what I'm talking about. This guy, funny enough, this Middle Eastern man is played by one of the Ten Rings in 2008's Iron Man. He's the guy with the beard. That doesn't narrow it down, I know. But like, he's, he's the main guy with the beard, you know? Just... Yeah, yeah, you, you know, he's the guy who gets robocopped through a wall and then Tony ditches him to like the people he was oppressing and he's like, he's all yours. Maybe this movie was a like a, a prequel to those events. Maybe after having such a horrendous flat experience, he decided, forget the U.S., I'm going back home. I'm going to join that Ten Rings organization I keep hearing about. At least they'll treat me with some respect around here. And I don't have to worry about, you know, crashing into the mountain or something. I'll be living in the damn mountains. Yeah. Uh, the only thing missing in this damn movie and list of cliches is a sudden bomb out of nowhere. That's the only thing missing. A bomb that they need to get rid of somehow. That's the only thing that's missing. And this would straight up be a rip on airplane. Yeah, but I guess they left that out because that would be way too many subplots to keep track of. There's two scenes in this movie where the movie actively leans into its like campy nature not campiness but like the slapstick nature of it all so it's when the engineer calls for the cockpit and he the, the one the co-pilot is named gayman and the way he says it it sounds like uh, he calls for all the gay men he says like man i got i gotta what he what do you say drain the worm or something like a gayman come up to the cockpit man i gotta drain the worm and all and you know the one gay steward hears it and he goes running for the cockpit but behind him all the other gay people on the plane the drag queens the everybody just starts running into the same direction because well they heard it too and the song macho macho man is playing in the background it's funny because behind all of them is a bunch of priests running with bibles and <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, like, 
Okay, like all the uh, he said, gay man, and all the gay men came out. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what's with the priests, man? Why are there so many priests on this plane? <laughs> you don't ask these questions because it's a comedy, man. It's a slapstick comedy. If you stopped and asked, wait, why for every little thing, you wouldn't enjoy it. But yeah, <clears throat> uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, the other joke where they lead into it is when, um, uh the snoop dog gets on the intercom and this girl uh the one hunky girl the 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 daughter of tom Arnold's character comes into the cockpit she says she's 18. he's like oh for real so hey he says hey we got a girl here who's who's just turned 18 and she's gonna be going up to the club so all the players come on down and keep her company and the dad is like and someone was like no and you just see an entire football team running down, like hut, 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 followed by an entire platoon of sailors running down all the <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, this is this is funny. Lean into this. If you take these two jokes out, this is just an early 2000s comedy. But if you leave them in, it's a slapstick comedy. Like, it's... It doesn't exist in our regular realm of reality. There are things that happen in this kind of movie that we can accept and find humor in because it's not trying to be grounded. It's not trying to be, I don't know, BET movie of the week. It's it's a funny movie. It's absurd, you know? Ugh. But yeah. Whew. Anyway, the, it's not all laughs and humor there are some jokes here that overstay their welcome like oh when john witherspoon in this movie playing a blind pimp like when he first shows up and he sits down in first class he's really funny yeah like he's walking around he's blind he's feeling up all the women that he's coming across he has one joke in the whole movie well one joke that he repeats it's like ah i don't know what smells better this or your perfume he does it to this woman he sits next to. He says it to this woman he he comes in with to comes in on. So he first woman he meets when he comes in, but it pays off at the end of the movie when he says, "I don't know what smells better, this New York air or your perfume," and doesn't realize till the person speaks up and he's like felt up their face that wait a minute this is a dude. This <laughs> yeah, that's the only joke in this whole movie. That has a setup, an execution, and a payoff. And the rest just end. I don't get it. There's a whole lot, there's a bunch of jokes in this movie that have a setup and a continuation and then just end. And um, it just feels like there's things missing. Like, for instance, there's there's scenes that don't go anywhere. Like Missy Powell is in this movie. She plays Tom Arnold's wife, and she's really horned up for the a black guy she just met and she's basically described as having a fire hose between his legs she alludes to that by saying like when tom arnold's character says like she sees the dude's face in a magazine um let's just say a magazine like playboy but for women and he remarks that thing has a face on it she just says oh there will be and that's that. So, yeah, it alludes that she's suddenly all in on black people when earlier in the movie... Yeah, there was the setup earlier in the movie where she was sitting with 
like in with amongst black people in Terminal X, Terminal Malcolm X, and she was really uncomfortable just being around them. Yet later in the movie, she sees this dude, and now she's just all in, set up, you know, execution, but no payoff. The closest payoff we get is a piece of one piece of dialogue at the end of the movie where, you know, Kevin Hart is talking to Tom Mullen's character and they're like, well, man, you lost her if she went with that guy. Like, have you tried talking to her about it? And the closest we get to resolution for her character is Tom Mullen saying, I can't. She got vocal damage. Like, okay, we know what happened here. We can put two and two together. Last thing she said was, though, that thing has a face on it. Oh, there will be. And the next time we hear about her, like, oh, she can't talk. She got vocal damage. Like, okay, we don't need to go further than that. But just, it, it felt like there were scenes missing. There were, where's all the payoff to these jokes? And you'd be right if you thought, wait a minute. It feels like stuff is missing here. Jokes go nowhere. Characters just vanish. And it's because there's an unrated cut of this movie. What happened? Yes, there is in fact an unrated cut of this film. An unrated cut happens when, say for instance, you make a movie, you go into pre, during, and post-production, and it's all finished, and you submit it to the MPAA for a rating. That is your unrated cut of the movie. It's unedited, it's unchanged. Everything you wanted in the movie is in the movie. And the MPAA give you a heads up that this is the rating we're going to give the movie if this is what you're submitting. And if that's not a rating you're comfortable with, you cut things, you trim things down, you sometimes in rare cases reshoot things to get a more suitable rating. And then you release that edited film because the MPAA accepts it, gives it a rating, and that's the one that winds up in movies. few times there will be... Uh, DVD version and once the movie comes out on DVD they'll release the theatrical cut but they'll also release the unrated cut along with it say oh it has all these extra scenes bonus features it's longer it's all it's got better jokes and everything and that's kind of what happened here more than not sometimes you know very few times the unrated cut is the director's raw unfiltered vision and there are those cases where it's better than the movie that was initially made to be seen in cinemas and there are other times where it's worse like oh i don't know i love Zack snyder but i don't need the unrated cut of watchmen watchmen as it stands is a solid movie and let's be real it's long enough and i don't need to see tales of the black freighter i don't need to see that the two guys working at the newsstand who've been going to the same newsstand for years just realize that they have the same name <gasps> That's where that shit came from. Okay. That answers that epic mistake. But yeah, I don't need all that. I just need the theatrical cut, Rorschach, you know, Ozymandias, you know, uh, the bomb, and, uh, you, you know, if you thought I would, if, did you really think I would have let you come in here if there was a chance you could have stopped me? Like, I already did it, man. Oh, I just need that. I don't need the extra stuff of the old guy imagining he's punching out people from back in the day and in reality he's getting beat up. I don't need all that. I just need the movie that was in the theaters, which was solid. All right, let's go for it. It's not every movie needs an unrated cut. Not every movie needs a director's cut, but some studios feel that they do, and some studios will hack a movie to pieces just to 
release that director's cut, that unrated cut, or whatever. Some studios really should release a director's cut, but won't. Hashtag release. Actually, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about the air cut anymore. Quite frankly, I'm starting to believe I never did. So, uh, hashtag release the Schumacher cut. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse. You know the rest. Hashtag sells this to Netflix or whatever. But anyway, moving on. Other plot points just wrap themselves up over a simple conversation, like Tom Arnold's problems with his daughter. He doesn't go out and find his daughter. His daughter comes and finds him, and she, like, reconciles. And he's like, you know, lately you've just been calling me weird negative names. You've been distant. You've been all this. We don't see all that. We just see, like, one moment she's there, and next minute she just up and leaves. And that's that. You know, that's when he goes to look for her, runs into Terry Crews, who's playing a security guard, and they bond over the fact they both have daughters, and he's like, go, go secure your family, man. Go save your family, whatever. And they go do that, but that, then that's it. It doesn't go anywhere. It just wraps itself up, because at this point, you know, we're over an hour in, and the landing scene is coming, and we got to wrap up all the stories before the story, the plane hits the ground. Anyway, oh yeah, and Kevin Hart throughout all this movie is trying to get his old girlfriend back. Despite the fact that that wasn't set up anywhere, except during the plane ride. It's set up, yeah, they knew each other back in the day. Yeah, they they broke up because dude felt like he was holding her back. Because, you know, he was unemployed and she was holding up her future to be with him. And all that. And that gets, but, oh no, it's too late. He can't get back with her. She's engaged to be married. But, you know, it's never, she just, by the end of it, after he lands the plane and saves all lives, she takes off the engagement ring and gets back together with him. So, yeah, forget who the guy she was married with, whoever he is. The movie could have wrapped it up nicely in a bow by explaining that the black model that the Missy Powell character was thirsting over was the guy she was supposed to be married to. You could have tied it up nicely by that and said, like, okay, he cheated on me anyway, so I'm leaving him for you. You could have done that. But, nope, I don't know if that's what happened. Could be in the unrated cut for all I know. But I'm not shelling out money to see that. I've already seen the movie. So, like I said, not every movie needs a director's cut. And not every movie with a director's cut needs to be seen by me. So, yeah, I'm good. At the end, there's this narration from Kevin Hart over, you know, events of the movie, you know, still frames, telling everybody, telling the film, well, the film goes, hey, this is what everyone got up to after the events of the movie. And, you know, I miss that. Movies don't really do that anymore. I wish they would. I know it cancels out any chance of a sequel or whatever, but still, man. It really wraps up any loose plot threads and, you know, it shows like, hey, the world exists beyond the events of this day. You know, the movie doesn't just, you know, the events of this world don't end just because the movie has ended. Um, yeah, another thing I miss is the original song created just for the movie, which this movie has. It's during the credits. It's by Snoop Dogg. It's pretty great. Which is interesting, considering the fact that the music in this movie was done by RZA. I think RZA would sing a song at the end, but hey, if I had any excuse to get Snoop Dogg, a new Snoop Dogg song in a movie, that's good enough. You know, even if they're the Addams Family, I'll take, you know, 
I'm not gonna watch that new Adams Family movie just to get Snoop Dogg song, but still, yeah, I, it's always good. <clears throat> Overall, the movie has an exceptional takeoff, but it evens out, and once it hits the cruising altitude of the one hour mark, it felt like scenes were missing, and the third act has a little tension. You know, the normally when a plane is in crisis, the biggest tension comes when they have to land it. We know they're gonna make it, you know, but it's just there's no tension. We know there's just no tension. Like, oh no, they might not make it because of whatever reason, or they might hit something on the way down. No, there's really none of that. They just land and they're good. They land in Central Park, which there's logistically impossible with a plane that big going that fast there is not enough room in central park for you to land safely and not hit a tree or a person or a lamppost or something it's just not that just wouldn't happen it's the, it's it's impossible logistically statistically very kind of you know it's just impossible Overall, uh, this movie gets an, in my humble opinion, an 8 out of 10 speeding rims. Would have been a 10, but those last two got stolen in Central Park. Yeah, along with any hopes for a sequel. So, yeah. That's my opinion of, that is my honest thoughts of the 2004 comedy soul plane you know this has been moonlight kingdom reviews i've been your man on the moon we hope you enjoyed your flight hope to see you again right here on moonlight kingdom reviews peace out y'all oh also um just to show you the absurdity of that there was no way dude was gonna run this flight on a regular basis you know this tricked out plane and everything with his measly hundred million granted a hundred million dollar payout is not measly but if you're running an airline it's a lot there's even a joke i did the research there was a joke that said um if you can afford a boeing 747 then the cost of running it is chump change like the, the overhead is the cost of running it is chump change because if you have the kind of money to buy the plane then surely maintaining it is oh, that money is nothing compared to the cost of the plane if you can't afford, if you're struggling to afford to get the plane you are not gonna afford keeping it so yeah i did the math that turns out a boeing 757 in the 90s cost about 58.8 million okay a custom customized rims on a vehicle can cost up to a thousand dollars each. Ten rims total would be ten thousand, and each plane tire on its own is worth five thousand. So ten tires, fifty thousand total. Now the landing gear is forty thousand dollars. The fuel tank, fully fueled or flame this size, is four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Operational cost twenty three thousand an hour. And flying from Los Angeles to New York takes six hours. So total, it would be 138000 Which means, ladies and gentlemen, the, of this man's $100 million, how much of it was spent on this plane? This one day of flight, mind you. How much did this overall flight cost this man on his $100 million payout? It would have cost a staggering Fifty nine million six hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. Even if everything had gone smoothly, he'd have only been able to afford to have one flat there and maybe 
bring the one fight back if he tabulated in everybody's well the ticket prices and everything so yeah that's and that's not even you know i haven't even factored in like how much it would cost to get all that you know equipment and uh, that's just a keep in mind that's just a regular plane that's the price of a regular 747 i haven't Factored in the hydraulics, the custom paint job, the lounge, that nightclub he had constructed in there. I haven't factored in all that. That's this is just the cost of what a regular plane would cost if it, you know, ran into these kind of issues. I would, I hadn't cost that at all. But yeah, so this movie is only a one-off. It makes sense. It makes sense that this movie would be a one-off. Kevin Hart's character only has enough money for one trip, one big flight from L.A. to New York. And after losing his two wheels, no, two front wheels, that plane's not going anywhere. So, hmm. Well, that's that. I guess the best thing his character could have hoped for in that situation is to have that one flight be a successful flight, sell the airline, and then use the money to do something a little bit more constructive. Oh yeah, and the narration it said that he opened the first ever strip club in the sky, but you need a plane for that, so uh well in the interest of head cannon, I'll just assume it was a strip club on the ground in an airplane somewhere in Central Park. Yeah. That makes more sense. And it well, easier to pull off than oh yeah, I have this huge plane that is also functioned as a strip club, so but yeah. Pretty sure FAA wouldn't allow that, but hey, you know, they allowed a Boeing 747 to have hydraulics. Anything is possible in this world. As always, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Leave your folding trays in an upright position. Don't forget to tip your waitresses. And, uh, you know, we thank you for flying Moonlight Kingdom reviews. Peace.